Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 218, June 1987 issue, published uh, on sale March 10th, 1987. It's a 75 censor. It's titled Charge of the Light Brigade. And this month in comics is that G.I. Joe Todd McFarlane issue they were always talking about. <laughs> Are we going to cover that today? We could. Oh, I, I did read it just for the heck of it. I, it's what would you? It's what you would call a filler issue. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have. I haven't read it in years, so I wouldn't be able to keep up. I think it would have been very funny though if that would have been our episode where we'd have been like, "Hey, <laughs> X Men two eighteen, but instead we're going to cover GI Joe number fifty. What six? Uh, I want to say it's sixty. Oh wow, it's a big number. Uh, this is a cover uh, by Art by Adams. Art Adams, um, whose name we couldn't remember a couple episodes ago. Yeah, embarrassingly enough, I was all like, "It's Adam something." It's that guy that we talk about so much, whose art we like and whose name we can't remember. Um, I'm mixed on this cover. This is a terrible cover. <laughs> okay, because I mean, like technically speaking. Uh, faces are good. Faces are great. Proportions are good, except Dazzler's boobs are like way too high and too. Well, actually, everybody's boobs are way too big and too high. They're they're all doing like a, a super action pose, and um, you know it works better for some than others. And then it's got like this big orange background. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's what kills it for me. The colors are just no, they don't work for me. Last uh, last 217's cover is a far better cover than this cover. Um, again, technically, technically it's good, you know. I don't know. Technical aspects anyways. It's just meh. But I guess, you know, if you're a comic book collector who happens to like girl comics, um, you might pick this up off the comic rack if you're not familiar with the X-Men. Because on the cover is Dazzler, Rogue, Psylocke, and... I guess a guy who kind of has long hair, so he's effeminate. You know, I've never looked at this and thought that this is a girl cover. I guess I'm just realizing. <laughs> it just looks to me like um, a bunch of dumb-looking X-Men. I'm, I'm just putting myself in the mindset of a you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old boy who's in the comic book store. On your, uh, your T-shirt scale, I would probably not buy this as a T-shirt. I would probably. Like, I'm imagining this shirt or this uh, image... But instead of the orange background, well, either the the entire shirt is this orange color, which would be kind of cool, uh, or it's a white T-shirt, and then these figures are on the cover. I think I would, I think I would actually pick that up because, like I said, like the fate, like it's, it's they're good drawings. It's just I don't know as far as I covers go, it's kind of boring. And I don't think they're good drawings. I think Dazzler looks clumsy. Rogue looks misproportioned or perspectives off. Uh, Betsy looks okay. It's, she's doing some sort of weird... Nobody runs. I mean, what is she doing? Leaping through the air? Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like she's missing her left leg. Uh, I actually think if, of of all of the characters on the cover, Rogue, I feel like Rogue is actually the best, although I, I don't really, really dig her hair. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned proportions and perspective, but I don't know. Somehow, the way my eye is catching this, um, I feel like it's okay, but I don't know. Maybe now maybe now her leg looks too big. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like her waist is too skinny, which is 
messing with her legs or something. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Okay. So blah, blah, blah. Uh, but let's completely shift gears because this comic book doesn't start off with any of those characters, the juggernaut or Dazzler's uh, death from last issue. No, it starts off with some characters we haven't seen in forever. It's Lorna Dane and Alex Summers. Do you remember when we last saw them? No. Do you? Was it, was it one of those incredible? No, it must've been giant size. Number one. Uh, so they didn't like temporarily join up or anything like that? No, I think they were rescued by the new X-Men and then maybe in X-Men 94, along with all the other X-Men, they're like, we're out of here, professor. There's too many (laughs) X-Men. Let's get out of here. At least I don't recall seeing them past. Honestly, I don't really recall seeing them beyond, uh, like the Hulk issue way back when, but I imagine they were on Krakoa. According to this, uh, the internet, <laughs> this thing that I have in front of me. Ooh, wait, um, what? How do you spell that? <laughs> the They last appeared uh, for Cyclops' wedding. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, to Madeline Pryor. Okay. And before that? Uh, before that, special edition X-Men number one. Was that, that was the Kitty Pride one. That was probably a reprint. Yeah. I feel like uh, the Madeline wedding doesn't count. Because, I mean, even Professor Xavier was at Spider-Man and Mary Jane's wedding. I don't know that that really counts. At least I think he was. Maybe he wasn't. Although it looks like Havoc has been appearing on and off. In the, he's been in a lot of the 160s. Okay. Oh, that's right, because uh, Corsair came back. And so they had that's right. the reunion and all that sort of stuff. So, okay, and the last times that we've seen Havoc and Lorna Dane have been rather forgettable. They were major players in Contest of Champions. I don't remember Contest of Champions. <laughs> I'm certain I didn't read Contest of Champions. Oh, well. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's, that's Havoc and Polaris for you. Anyways, they're, they're out in the desert, the Rio Diablo, and they're coming back from a grocery shopping trip, uh, getting some supplies when they are run off the road by a crazy VW bus. And I was like thinking to myself, why doesn't Lorna use her powers? But I guess I can let it slide because it, it all happens so suddenly, you know, it's, yeah. it's sometimes you're just not on the ball. Yeah. She's not really been practicing as a superhero. I guess she's kind of like an archaeologist at this point. So her reflexes aren't what they used to be. So when this all happens, she's like, oh, yeah, I do have magnetic abilities that could have <laughs> made that micro bus go elsewhere. Or or as our uh, Jeep is flying off a cliff, I could have, you know, stopped it from landing on its top side. Yeah, it rolls. Just propelled it back up into the air. <laughs> Uh, it rolls over, uh, knocking both Alex and Lorna kind of uh, all over the place. But I get the feeling we're kind of not supposed to know who these people are. Like old time, you know, X-Men fans will, of course, know when they mention Alex Summers and Lorna Dane who they are. But new people might be like, oh, why are we? Who are these people? I don't even think in the first couple of pages they, they mention him by. Oh, I guess they do. Two such are they Alex know. Summers and Lorna Dane. So. You're right. New timers or anybody who's been a part of the X-Men series since, I guess, 175, let's just say, which is quite a long time. is like, what? Who are these people? Maybe I would hope that when they see the Summers name, they'd be like, I wonder if this guy has a connection to Scott Summers. <laughs> and uh, so, so they're kind of saving the powers, I feel like, because 
as uh, they they fall unconscious and Alex wakes up first, thinks to himself, hurt, alive, rollbar and seatbelt saved us, lucky, boulder falling straight for us, which is terrible luck. <laughs> and that's when we get a full page of him using his power, blasting the boulder. Raw energy rips forth from the young man's outstretched hands, vaporizing whatever hits. And I feel like this is a punch like, if you don't know what Havoc can do, look out! We definitely get a introduction to these folks' powers. And to be honest, you know, as as I uh, mentioned last episode, this would have been kind of the second issue of the X-Men in continuity that I would have ever read. I honestly, I didn't know who these characters were. There's a green-haired girl and a blonde-haired boy. And then they start using powers, and I'm like, well, they must be these mutant things that this comic book keeps talking about. Yeah. Um. And so, yes, we're definitely getting a reintroduction to Havoc's powers, and soon we'll get one to Lorna Dane's powers. But before all that, I must mention, we've got the dynamic duo together, finally. Mark Silvestri and Dan Green are our artists. Glennis Oliver's the colorist, Tom Orzakowski's letter, Anna Senti's the editor, and Jim Shooter's the editor-in-chief. And of course, it's written by Chris Claremont. But this is like... This is my this is my X Men. This isn't my X Men, but this is my my Wolverine. Sure, because they they eventually would go on to draw a lot of Wolverine, and and that's pretty much they're 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 the '90s for me, I guess. Okay, well they're my late '80s. Um, how I got to know the art stylings of the X Men. Of course, I had no idea at the time what you know how much of a role artists play in a comic book. I just look at it and be like, that's bad art or that's good art. <laughs> and this was good art. Anyhow, um, Alex sets up kind of a makeshift tent uh, out of a bumper and some old cloth, uh, kind of revives Lorna, uh, does his best to stack up the groceries. Um, I don't know why they do this, but Alex decides to haul all of the groceries up to the road, so up the cliff, and then Lorna uses her powers to flip the Jeep up and then on top of the cliff. Like, why wouldn't they have done that down there and put the groceries into the Jeep and then move the Jeep up to the well, hilltop? The implication that I got was that uh, Lorna's a little been, been knocked around a little bit and her powers are not... Uh, she's a little bit weak, so Alex wants to do all the manual labor and not force her to do anything that might, uh, you know, hurt her some more. Okay, I can buy that. So, so she does, and and he's even's like, "Oh, be careful! I don't know if you're quite up for it." And he calls, or she calls him a chauvinist worm, which is very humorous because he's like, "Pig, it's pig." He's like, "Oh, I like pigs. I don't like worms." It's funny. It's a little little humanizing these characters. And uh, they take off, and uh, they wonder why that bus hit us. Hey, remember Contra? I do. Alex is dressed like Contra. (laughs) Yeah, I guess guess he is kind of built or dressed like. He's got a headband, got a vest on. He's got a jean jacket, open shirt. Although those guys didn't have shirts, but, you know, close enough. Did you ever play Contra in the arcade? I don't think so. It's just like the NES Contra, except it looks way better. Really? But like the first level, I mean, there's some differences, but for the most part, the level designs and the weapon designs are all the same. And then do you remember the second level where you would like go, it was kind of like first person sort of perspective? You know what? Now that you're bringing this up, I think I've seen a YouTube video where they show those, the like how crappy the Nintendo graphics are. 
compared to the arcade version. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, not for nothing, but Contra graphics on the NES are pretty good. The side scrollers, I mean, I guess I guess the the forward walking wasn't terrible. Yeah, but uh, that that yeah, anyways, Contra in the arcade. Anyways, back uh, underground where Dazzler is because she was buried alive and she realizes it when she's like, why are these rocks on me and why can't I see anything? Oh, my God, I've been buried alive. Juggernaut thought I was dead. It took me a minute to realize that this was Dazzler. <laughs> it. I was like, wait, is this Lorna Dane? Her, How did this happen? Right. Her hair looks too long and without the coloring, you you could almost even confuse her with uh, Madeline Pryor. Yeah, you know, Mark Silvestri's strong points at this point are not uh, unique identifiers of women. No, pouty lips, uh, heavy eye shadow. Petite. Very skinny. They're all very, very skinny. Petite noses. So, yeah, I mean, you take the color out of any one of these characters and, yeah, they're they're pretty much all going to look alike. And close up on their face, like get the hair out of the way. Anyways, uh, she, she for whatever reason, she decides to do a three-panel remembrance of what happened last issue. Um, well, we can mm. skip that. <laughs> to catch you up. Yeah. And that's where you see that Mark Silvestri likes to draw very skinny legs. Yes. On the ladies. And so this part's neat. Up until now, Dazzler has only really recharged her powers using radios or super loud noises uh, and the like. And this is the first time that we're seeing her being like, oh, I got to get strong. Uh, And she starts stretching out and really listening to things. So she starts absorbing sound from like a bug scratching on wood, uh, some wind going by, an eagle, a babbling brook that's further along. And it comes in handy because Psylocke eventually finds her and she's like, well, I can talk to you, but I can't find you. And that's when Dazzler says, well, I'll take up all this energy I just absorbed and I'm going to send out a flare. Which she does, and uh, that causes her to, to to fall unconscious. I think it's like Chris Claremont sat down and um, kind of was like, How, I need to like really, really think through these Dazzler powers. Yes. Because between this issue and the last issue, he really, he really makes them a lot more interesting than they, for me at least, that they have been. 42 issues to this. of her own comic book. And it took two for Chris Claremont to be like, let's put a little bit of dimension into right i think prior to this her powers were what whatever they needed to be that the situation would be Mm -hmm. this is kind of interesting i mean it's not it's not like chris claremont doesn't do that too but right it's what makes this interesting is like she doesn't she she doesn't necessarily need her powers and so they're giving her what she needs i mean i guess kind of they are but they're doing it in a way that it, it feels organic it feels like it's more of an exploration and uh concrete explanation of her powers which is unique it makes some sense in a world where superpowers make sense i guess the one thing that doesn't make any sense is like she's like i'll send up a flare but it's not like okay are you looking like keep keep your eyes peeled all of you are looking <laughs> in different directions right now because i'm gonna send up the flare but they're around yeah <laughs> she does send up the flare and she does get dig up, dug up and the x-men they do, in fact, rescue Dazzler. Everybody goes in for a hug. Longshot wants Rogue to join in the hug, and she's like, Why did y'all forget? If my bare skin touches yours or anyone's, I'll steal your powers and psyche, maybe forever. Because <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> I tell everybody that every issue. 
I, I find it strange the way that Silvestri draws Rogue as having green underpants and black legs. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm just, it takes a while to get used to. Uh, I, I like it. I mean, I don't remember what her cost. I guess she didn't really have a costume last issue, did she? It's stylish. Yeah. No, it's, I like it's, it. It's different. And maybe again, maybe since this is my X-Men, this is the costume that I got most acquainted with with Rogue. So all of her other costumes up to this have not worked really well for me. I don't know. What it, I don't know. I guess it's unusual because there's so much focus on her underpants. <laughs> we get a mention here from Longshot that, uh, that they're X-Men, they're teammates and friends. And Dazzler agrees that they're the very best. So she's definitely cooled off from the issue that she had with Callisto earlier. Well, she just got knocked for a loop. So we find out that they were able to find Dazzler because of the man that she was dancing with all night. Did they ever give his name? Connell. Well, I guess we knew that, didn't we? Yeah, they, last last issue they said his name was Connell. So what is his connection to them? You know, well, everybody knows um, Moira? Moira McTaggart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they all decide that they're going to go after uh, Juggernaut, although Dazzler is hesitant to do so. Uh, for a minute, she decides that she's going to leave the X-Men, but Rogue says, what a crack! The Dazzler who fought me to stand still more than once had way more gumption than this. Yeah, I think we none of us has ever screwed up. Be real, girl. We're none of us perfect. We have a lot to learn. Yeah! So they head out to, uh, where are they going to? Edinburgh. And uh, they get their costumes on and they're getting ready to find Juggernaut, which doesn't take very long because they're able to find his path of destruction. And we get a, well, they just talked about how they were a team and we kind of see everybody goes in one-on-one against him. First, Rogue goes in, attempts to do a punch and... Does a pretty cool panel where she punches him in the face where there's a big old boom. I really like uh, uh, Mark Silvestri and Dan Green's rogue windup followed by that punch. Yeah, it's cool. It's very nice. Their juggernaut's really good, too. He's just, like, tossing stuff around. and Yeah, it turns out the punch doesn't really do much good. Except that it's a sonic wave punch and it destroys all the windows nearby. Yeah, that seems like poor planning on Rogue's part. Think of all that property damage. Uh, Juggernaut is very well drawn, as you mentioned. Uh, it does no effect on him to be punched, and he uses his belly to to belly slam o Rogue oh, is it, away. No, I, it's not his belly, is it? I thought he was doing like an open hand swipe oh, thing. I've like, always looked it, at this panel as if he's just <laughs> like thrusting his arms backward and hitting her away with his belly. <laughs> Because in the previous panel, his arms are crossed, and I feel like he slaps her with his like hands opening as he uncrosses them. Okay. And circles around and sends her flying. Still kind of weird, but it's, yeah. that it makes more sense than a belly flop. That <laughs> <laughs> makes more sense than the belly thing. Uh, Psylocke, she is able to get a hold of a uh, straight truck. I don't know where this came from, uh, but she drives it into Juggernaut. Which uh, does not help her at all. Do you think this she, is Moira's truck, or where did did she steal this? Like, where did she get this truck from? I, uh, she she saw it. The keys were like, maybe because Juggernaut's 
running around, smashing stuff up in this small town. Somebody saw him coming in this truck and left the keys and just jumped out of the car. Adam, Edinburgh is not a small town. Well, whatever. <laughs> okay. It still applies. For all of our Edinburgh listeners out there, I, I got your back. Um, and I didn't even pronounce it Edinburgh like I, I used to when I was a kid. <laughs> I noticed that. I was impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, yeah. So somebody somebody left it because, like, Godzilla, Juggernaut is destroying town. And what do you do? You run. True. So she, she saw a truck with that was running and decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run into Juggernaut with this. And uh, she realizes very quickly that it's not going to work in her psychoblast. Kind of can, she hopes it can disrupt, but then later she says, I should have realized by reading the files. Anyway, she says it right here. I can see how Allison underestimated and the files don't even begin to convey how formidable this brute is in reality. Which, you know, if I'm like Betsy, I'm like updating the files after this caper. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, Yeah, she uses her psycho blast to a little effect, but not much. Yeah, she she later says, you read Juggernaut's file. Why didn't you remember his bloody helmet? (laughs) And uh, she's getting ready to clock Psylocke across the face when Longshot throws a bunch of little knives at at him. And Juggernaut's like, what are you what are you doing with those knives? I'm the juggernaut. He says, well, you never know. Anything's possible. Uh, and we get a little bit more of how kind of Longshot is still this sort of silly guy. And he's juggernaut says, hold still, blasted. And Longshot's like, so you can hit me? That's silly. He doesn't sound like that. Well, okay. He has a much higher pitched voice. <laughs> See, I was trying to think of like an alien that I could match long shot too mm. and the first one i thought of was elf so that's what i'm going with maybe it should be marvin marvin the martian yes hmm, so you um, can hit me that's silly that's that's practically our uh, nightcrawler that's the only voice i have he just doesn't happen to have a german accent or what i <laughs> consider a german accent you could also go with marvin the robot uh, alan rickman <laughs> so you can hit me that's silly yeah it's good. I liked it, Adam, but it doesn't work for long shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyways, uh, so Juggernaut's threatening him. I'm going to, they'll have to scrape you off the sidewalk. Um, and he ends up uh, throwing a building at long shot. Well, it took me a while to figure out exactly what he does. He rips the corner off of a building, and then the building naturally, not having any support, falls onto long shot. The problem being, buildings don't work this way. Yeah, I'm <laughs> with okay. you. But yes, the ball, the building in this universe falls on top of Longshot. Uh, Dazzler and Psylocke go to work clearing debris. Rogue joins them after a bit so that they can find uh, Longshot. They they figure he's dead. I I think. Yeah, yeah. They're they're they think his his luck has run out. Longshot, answer me, boy. Dazzler, help me. They find out that um, as, well, first of all, um, it looks like it's Dazzler who says, I thought we were going to learn from my mistake and tackle this creep as a team. And Rogue's like, we all screwed up. And they find Longshot in a little crevice uh, that he happened to get into when the building fell, and he's fine. Hi, Psylocke. (laughs) And so that's when they decide to do teamwork. (laughs) You know, it's 
it's a valuable lesson that we will learn many times. Yeah, it seems like this is what the X-Men do. Uh, the first 14 <laughs> pages are going at it one at a time, and the last 10 pages are teamwork. Yay. And the plan, I don't know if they came up with this plan, but what ends up happening is Longshot throws a bunch of knives at him. A, ha- a few of them happen to get wedged under his helmet. Rogue goes in to absorb some of his powers and yank his helmet off. She gives him a kiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is when we get, we, we've seen this little secondary helmet, right? This yes. is, yeah, that was in Spider-Man, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, she rips off the the main helmet. And it's kind of cool as she absorbs his powers, like his armbands, uh, his arms get smaller and the armbands uh, start falling off of him because she's absorb- absorbing his strength. Oh, my, I'm noticing that for the first time. That's awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> a cool, nice touch. And even as she's throwing him down to the ground, his metal vest looks too big for his body now. He has, like, uh, cuffs around his shoulders. Hmm. Neat little details. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, she throws him on top of some railroad tracks, creating a crater where the railroad tracks were. And wouldn't you know it, a train (laughs) is coming. And as she she flies in for another hit, she flies straight into him, and the sound effect is Rambo. (laughs) Yes. Making the crater even larger. Longshot says, hey, the train's coming. Look, there's a light in... Look, look, everyone, there's a light in Mountain Heart. It's it's coming closer. I I don't know that... that, I don't know if that's going to stick, Adam. (laughs) I'm I'm working it. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. I don't think I'll ever be able to do it, because, like, I can hear Alf's voice in my head, but I don't know that there's any way I could even begin to try to approximate it. First of all, that is a horrible, horrible <laughs> elf impression I'm doing. I've given up on even trying to do. I'm working. I, I started with elf and now I'm just working into this like silly sort of, I don't know. It's the voice you give your dog. <laughs> oh, all right. Hey, everybody. It's me. I am a good boy and I am hungry. I'm so lucky. See? That's it. You got it. Long shot. <laughs> all right. And... Uh... Juggernaut goes in to punch um, Rogue, which I think makes even a bigger mess of this whole railroad thing. Guess who's recovered? It's a cool panel because we see uh, just Rogue's boots out of the way. Yeah. Rogue grabs Longshot, heads towards the train. She throws him into the train saying, like, get in there and maybe your luck will help us out. (laughs) Which is a terrible plan. I mean, I think she's... I, get, I mean, give Longshot something to do, not just, like, be lucky. I think that was the plan is, okay, I'm going to use my muscles, and you're going to just be lucky. Because, I mean, what is he going to do, throw knives at the train? <laughs> she says, help the passengers best you can. And, hey, everybody, uh, I got some juggling tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I have hollow bones, and I can do tricks. <laughs> everybody to the back of the train. <laughs> So Rogue jumps onto the train tracks, puts out her hands. I think I like this panel. It's it's small, but like her her suits all ripped up, and there's just a lot of detail. Her costumes all torn up, and she's just ready to give all of herself to stopping this train. It's the classic superhero stopping a train thing that we've never seen Rogue do it. So yep, why, it's pretty cool. So why not? Meanwhile, uh, Dazzler uses some of her flash bulb powers to blind Juggernaut. Juggernaut sees her and says, hey, Dazzler, you're okay. I didn't kill you. That's great. Can I get an autograph? <laughs> Meanwhile, Rogue's still working on the train. Which we get another cool panel where the 
you can just see the 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 tracks like snapping up under her feet, mm-hmm. and, and she's like, "It it ain't slow," and it's it's pretty cool. And there's like fire coming out. Psylocke, what are you doing? My dazzle blast won't hold him for long. So Psylocke is going in for some reason. We have a plan, or we have a plan, Dazzler. We must follow it through to the end. <laughs> so Dazzler hops off the cliff onto Juggernaut's back as he's kind of staggering around from being blinded earlier, and she uses her powers to uh, make a laser bolt, essentially to cut the skull cap off. I'm not sure what Psylocke is doing. I guess maybe getting close enough so that once the uh, skull cap is off, she's able to uh, psychoblast him. I guess. Because it doesn't literally look like she's doing anything other than other until Dazzler gets there. Feels like she could do this from a distance, but uh, I don't know either. And she does. She psychoblasts him. She knocks him out. He's on the ground. And then they're like, what about the train? And a little bit of dirt hits them both on the head. And they look up and Rogue says, I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. (laughs) Excuse me. And so the cops come and lug Juggernaut away. This is like a couple hours later or something, because, I don't know, it seems weird that Rogue has all of the train track stuff for rebuilding the train tracks this quickly. Yeah, where'd she get it from? I don't know. But it's like Who's later this that... guy with the machine gun? Guards, I guess. Uh, but the whole, the, the crux of the biscuit here is they're helping to repair. They've stopped the juggernaut, but Psylocke is using her powers to telepathically scramble everybody's perception. So even though they know the X-Men's here, they're not really going to remember it. And they're just kind of seeing their ideal image of a superhero. And uh, Rogue's like, well, figures. We save the day and nobody knows. She gives a high five to Dazzler, their best buddies now, and... Mark Sylvester proves that all women are very tall. Yes, they've got gigantic legs. (laughs) And that's when, I don't know, a cop, I guess, comes and says, Well, we appreciate your aid, X-Men, but while you were battling the juggernaut, his accomplice Black Tom Cassidy was looting the Bank of Scotland. Wait, I thought Betsy was scrambling their perceptions of them. Well, you see... I can talk to the X-Men right now, but as soon as I walk away, I'll be like, oh, the Avengers were here. and They were very quaint. He should have said, we appreciate your aid, Avengers. (laughs) I know, Adam. I caught that, too. (laughs) (laughs) I just figure that as soon as he walks away, he's like, who were those teenagers? (laughs) This must have been (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Evidently, this rampage was no more than a diversion to hold our attention while the real crime was being committed, says maybe the police officer. (laughs) And we fell for it like amateurs, says Rogue. It's... Then there's a moral lesson, which, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we fell, yeah, they fell for it, but they're a team and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile... Which is pretty cool. Like, 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 honestly, like the idea that Juggernaut was just causing a huge diversion while Black Tom Cassidy was robbing a bank, that's pretty funny. Yeah. And really, this story had nothing to do with Black Tom Cassidy or the Juggernaut. This story was all about bringing Dazzler into her own and establishing that these new folks to the X-Men team can work as a team. And boy, once they get back together with Wolverine and Storm, there's going to be heck to pay. I feel like Chris Claremont is best when he is working with new characters. Because there's always like excitement in the air. 
That's very possible. I mean, maybe that's why he's kind of uh, moving some in and out right now. Be and I just will... not to say that, that he's bad with established characters. Obviously, he's he's not. But I just feel like he is a little bit more energized and. Uh, I don't know. It feels like the writing's tighter when he's working with new characters. I yeah, it'll be interesting to see how I um take in the post Fall of the Mutants X-Men comics because um there's a like a run there that I just don't care for. No. And it'll be interesting to see like was that just me being young or or was he losing steam and big, yeah, well, when we get there we'll talk about it. But this issue ain't <laughs> over yet. We flip our attention back to the desert, and uh, it turns out that Alex and Lorna, like, recognize that the VW bus was part of some campers that stopped by their place asking for directions the other day. Maybe they should go check on them. Which they do, and they notice some sort of uh, what looks like a plane that uh, crashed into the ground and skidded uh, away a little bit. It looks like it goes over some sort of ridge. So they, they follow it. Um, what are they blasting here? Rocks. <laughs> well, Lorna says it ended up against the ridge beneath the rock fall. So I think they go to the rock fall and they blast okay, it so away. Okay, so we don't get to see the rock fall. We just are told about it. Okay. Lorna wants to know, what the devil? And Alex is like, oh my God, I've seen this before in Xavier's files. No, wasn't he was there in space? He says it's a star shark. I recognize it from pictures back at Xavier's school. The living attack craft used by the brood. I don't think he was part of the whole brood thing. How is this a star shark? It's tiny. I, yes, Adam. It's a very little one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there was only like three brood on this ship because we know a star shark, right? As like a like a gigantic ship, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, this thing is uh, it's the size of a like a big great white shark. Yeah, it's it's not it's not small by any means, but it's silly for what Alex says next, which is, if if it's here, that means one of those murdering aliens is on is loose on Earth. Just one. So I guess he thinks just one flew in on a star shark. It, it, if I was to put this into like uh, a term people could maybe understand, I would say that this is the size of Jaws. Because it's big, don't get me wrong, but it's not like astronomically large like a star shark. There are three bodies beneath it, and if they were standing, they would probably be as tall as it is on its side. Yeah. Um, it could definitely eat all three of them. Totally. So this thing is maybe six feet tall and uh, what, 18 feet long? It's big, but it ain't no spaceship. I'm with you. So, <laughs> yeah. Brood on the Earth. Y'all. Lorna, if that one's a brood queen, if she lays her eggs, if they hatch, the human race is doomed. I know that's a lot of ifs, but stick with me. The human race is doomed. <laughs> we should go tell Xavier or not. <laughs> uh, dun, dun, dun. And that's where the issue ends. Another good issue in what I feel like is the revitalized X-Men. Yeah. There's a couple in this run that lose steam, but if this is, these, these two are definitely good ones. I was, I was starting to lose it during the, uh, the mutant massacre. <laughs> really? It's not my favorite. Gotcha. I must just be kind of blinded by uh, my, uh, I don't know, my past. Blinded by Dazzler's Light. Yeah. So there you go. Um, we we got a tweet from an anom anonymous listener. 
Un Jakey? Yeah. Un, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he says, he, he tells us actually, that X-Men 215 is collected in Old Soldiers, which is a Claremont Davis collection. It also has X-Men Annuals 2, 3, and X-Men number 11, and uh, X-Men number 213. Good information. That's, uh, a, that's a weird collection. It's a very strange collection. I mean, I, it makes sense because it's, it's, it's all Ellen Davis, but like, I would be like, well, what happens next? Yeah, yeah. And isn't there more Alan Davis X-Men issues than just these? I don't know. I thought there were that we've covered already. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm confusing those with New Mutants, but well, there you go. Uh, if you, I don't happen to have this old soldier's collection, but you know, if you if you guys, y'all want it, you should go check it out. I wouldn't call this like a, a, a part of the chronology one. Like I wouldn't pick this up if I was looking to fill in the gaps. No, I'm, I'm holding out maybe for an epic collection or something that that gathers these middle issues here yeah it would have been nice if they had put that out like i don't know a month ago (laughs) (laughs) right because by the time they publish it we'll be beyond this stuff and i'll be like do i really want to spend the 25 (laughs) dollars on this only to put it on my shelf and probably never read it again yeah (laughs) uh Shiloh Felt on Facebook says, why didn't I know about you guys sooner? Well, Shiloh Felt, why didn't we know about you sooner? That's a fair question. <laughs> Goes on to say, I spent the last uh, year and a half reading X-Men from be- from the beginning, and I would have loved to listen uh, as I read along. Oh, well, guess I'll catch up now. Start over. Yeah, start over with us. We're still there. <laughs> yeah, those those episodes aren't going anywhere. And you could do like, some people do like two at a time. So you could be rereading X-Men 1 at the same time as you're reading X-Men 215. Of course, you'll get to that point where you pass us. <laughs> uh, I, I, it seems that one popular way to uh, ingest us, which I don't, I don't know if I can handle this, is to start at giant size X-Men number one, then episode number one, and then all the latest episodes, and then just like keep cycling that um, that rotation, which I don't know how you could keep track of anything that way, but I've heard a few people do it that way. I like how you said ingest us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ingesting media. It's kind of what people you do, out there right? are ingesting us. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> just our sound waves. That's all. Don't be weird. Sound wave. <laughs> so if you'd like to get a hold of us uh, or uh, have us ingest you, <laughs> And your thoughts, <laughs> uh, do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, at danger room go, and also email us at danger room at xmenpodcast.com. We're on iTunes, go out to the podcast section, type in danger room, we're the first podcast that shows up, and you can call us at 501 get x men, 501 438 9636. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, and uh, whew. I read X Factor number seventeen, Adam. Did you? I did. Uh, this is a this is a pivotal issue. This is way more pivotal than I remember it being. Um, but uh, yeah, would you like to know about it? Nah. Okay. <laughs> Tell me what happened in Fallen Angels number two then. <laughs> well. <laughs> All right, fine. Thor returns a super-powered Iceman whose powers is all amped up, uh, who also has kind of a new sense of proving the good that mutants do. Uh, Angel's funeral is interrupted by mutant protesters on both sides of the issues. A new group known as the Right, uh, led by a mutant named Richter, emerges posing as the Exterminators with a threat to destroy San Francisco. Cameron Hodge gets a call from X-Fa- or for X-Factor services in dealing with the fake exterminators, 
but he tries to dodge the request for some reason. Rusty comes up with an idea that if the real exterminators should save San Francisco uh, in order to try and restore some of the mutant trust, which they love that idea. Cyclops is caught by skids, Rusty and Boom Boom talking to ghosts of Angel, Maddie, and the Phoenix. Boom Boom pushes Beast too far and is chased into a closet where Ariel is waiting to teleport her to Fallen Angels number three, so we'll look forward to that. Mm -hmm. Caliban is offered a costume and a place with the exterminators. Apocalypse has found his fourth horseman. The other three horsemen are a bit skeptical of the choice. Richter turns out to be a mutant kid used by a group called the Right to Destroy San Francisco and probably amp up the anti-mutant hysteria. Uh, the exterminators are able to rescue Richter with the aid of some amazing displays by Jean's powers. Cyclops cryptically talks to Jean as if she is Phoenix, but Phoenix in hiding. Gene doesn't know what he's talking about, and at one point, Scott stops halfway through calling Gene uh, Phoenix. So, that was awkward. After <laughs> saving San Francisco, the mutant threatened to shoot the exterminator's helicopter out of the air, which prompts Iceman to issue an impassioned plea to the people of San Francisco to know mutants by their deeds. And finally, it is heavily implied, if not outright said, that Cameron Hodge is behind the whole San Francisco incident. He's a bad guy, y'all. It certainly seems like that, or it's a case of mistaken identity. <laughs> it's a different Cameron Hodge. Yes. And that was X Factor number 17. Did you feel like Jean Grey's powers were out of the ordinary in this issue? That's the whole point, Adam. That's she. She was using her powers to like I don't know, like uh, level a helicopter while lifting all of the exterminators. And well, and what I'm saying is, I didn't. I didn't think they were out of the ordinary. Oh, I don't know. I didn't think they were like crazy out of the ordinary, but. It, like in earlier issues, we'd seen her lift up like a fence post or like her and Cyclops, but we hadn't seen her lift up as much stuff as she was doing in this issue. It was a critical situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one could chalk it up to like adrenaline. And she even says like after Cyclops is cryptically talking to her about Phoenixy type things, she's like, Scott, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm way too tired to try to figure it out. I.e. like I just used a lot of power and you need to leave me alone right now. Yeah. So a lot of this is just uh, Cyclops wishing slash wanting Phoenix back and her powers. Also, Cameron Hodge does outright imply that uh, Scott Summers is going mad, which makes sense given that he was talking to a bunch of dead people. Yes. So there you go. You got all that going on. Uh, I tried to summarize new mutants uh fairly quickly number 53 but there was a lot going on in this issue uh doug has a dream that he was taken over by the technarch tech mode virus and accidentally kills all the new mutants that seems like a theme with the new mutants yeah they die a lot don't they because didn't they get killed last issue by the marauders yeah okay. yeah they've died they've died many times at the uh, dreams end, warlock finds him and tells them that he is doug's father now and that they have to fight to the death Whereupon Doug wakes up, relieved that he is himself. But uh, the camera zooms back into his eyeball to reveal that there are some tiny uh, circuitry inside of his eyeball. So he is truly becoming Doug Locke? That's what it seems like. Magneto has decided to bring the New Mutants to a Hellfire Club party so that he might take their minds off of their missing friends Roberto and Warlock. Just before this, outside the party, a rich man buys a statue of Celine from a mysterious man in a taxi for a million dollars. 
Well, at the party, the New Mutants mostly pick fights or arguments with the Hellions there. Doug, who is feeling like a useless member of the team without Warlock, acts like a jerk to Tarot. Then is... Or Tarot? Tarot. Like a tarot card? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Then is convinced by Roulette to play poker in a back room. He wins big, and he feels pretty cocky about it. Magma is upset with good reason that Selene is at the party. The rich man reveals the Selene statue to, to, to Selene, and Magma recognizes it as a fake and as that her family has the real one. Selene agrees and ominously implies that there's some blood relation between her and Magma. Rain and Cat's Eye hang out and cause trouble and ultimately find Doug drunk in a bed with a bunch of girls. The New Mutants and Hellions both arrive on the scene and begin to argue. And Doug slaps Roulette when he realizes her luck powers were probably what enabled him to win in poker, which is pretty awful. Uh, The two teams decide to make a competition out of who can figure out uh, who can get to the bottom of the the fake statue thing first. And that was was number 53. Yeah, I I thumbed through it. It was a good issue. I saw all the stuff you just talked about. Yeah, it's interesting. In uh, Fallen Angels number two, uh, Roberto and the Mystery Girl whose name we find out is Chance, fight back against street thugs that had been quartered at the end of the last issue. And Chance escapes by retreating through a teleportation door created when Ariel shows up. Teleporting Ariel. Yeah, so there's a there's a new teleporting Ariel. Uh, Warlock also manages to find and rescue Sunspot. Roberto decides he might as well be a villain, but in trying to rob a church, he learns he just doesn't have the stomach for it. Magneto loans Teresa Cassidy, uh, Siren, and Jamie Madrox, the multiple man, a portable Cerebro device to help them find Roberto, and they travel to New York to start their search. Multiple man splits up and finds them first. (laughs) Get it? That's pretty clever of me. I I do. (laughs) Followed by a kid named Gomi, along with his two lobsters, Don and Bill, weird, who seeks Roberto on behalf of Chance. The Vanisher also shows up at the same time as Siren, and she attacks him, and he flees. Roberto leaves with Chance through one of Ariel's magic doors. Warlock and Madrex follow him, leaving Siren behind alone. Aww. So I always thought... Uh, thumbed through that issue as well. It didn't look uh, that interesting to me. It's a, I, I like I like Fallen Angels. I've never read it before, but it's kind of interesting how they're bringing in kind of all the scraps. So you got Multiple Man and Siren, and next issue you'll have Boom Boom, and they're introducing new characters and Roberto and Warlock and Vanishers. There, it's curious to see where it's going to go. Leftover mutants. What's the point of this thing? Is really the question. It's it's not it's not terrific, but it's interesting enough that I I I guess I enjoy it. Okay, well that's all that matters, Adam. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Mattering is half the battle. GI Joe. <laughs> all right then. Well, that's it for this week. It sure is. Short, sweet, sweet, uh, sour, simple. All right s- then. Stupid grapes. <laughs> <laughs> Sally. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, Until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. (laughs) 